inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Outlook. We are back with another live episode on Radio Western this morning, and welcome to December. Yes, first episode of the month, final month of 2022, and we have a few more shows here lined up to round out the year, so excited about that. And coming in again from Woodstock today, I was visiting Carrie for the weekend, we had some nice family time over the weekend and it's been the, actually the third weekend that I've we've hung out together which you know <laughs> we see each other quite a bit but not generally this much so it's it's been it's been a fun few weeks but uh yeah and Christmas coming up uh, you yeah. know we, we, we I need to yeah we need to take a weekend off from each other so that we don't <laughs> get too too sick of each other probably yeah anyway uh, but that's part of the charm of what this show is uh, we're siblings who are both blind and we're talking all the time about issues that uh, relate to disability and blindness specifically, but more broadly disability. And so, yes, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, students are doing finals and everybody's getting ready for the holidays. But as Brian said, a few more episodes of the show live before the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, so speaking of the theme, December 3rd, which was two days ago on Saturday, uh, every year on December 3rd is the United Nations International Day for Persons with Disabilities. And the theme this year um, is Transformative Solutions for Inclusive Development, the Role of, of um, Innovation in Fueling an Accessible and Equitable World. And uh, the annual ob observance of the International Day of Persons with Disabilities, uh, IDPD, for short. More acronyms for you. Yeah, we love those. <laughs> uh, was proclaimed in 1992 by the United Nations General Assembly Resolution 47-3. And the observance of the day aims to promote an understanding of disability issues and mobilize support for the dignity, rights, and well-being of persons with disabilities. And actually, on Friday, I attended on Zoom the World Health Organization Global Report on Health Equity for Persons with Disabilities. So they, they come up with this report finally. And uh, in, it was through the International Disability Alliance and Havan Gurma, who um, she sort of um, was the moderator of the event. And she's the first deafblind person, a woman to graduate Harvard Law School. And yeah, we'll talk more about that in a, one of the final shows of the year, but we have a guest today, so I just wanted to let everybody know what Saturday was. And um, basically, globally, one in six, they say, has a disability, sort of 1.3 billion, 16% um, or, or something like that. Up to 20 years earlier, um, we can they they've established the WHO that people with disabilities don't live as long, and that's why they're trying to improve those sort of things and work for the equity of everybody. Um, but today we have a guest, and we're going to talk about how this stuff works and what's been going on in Canada. Yeah, so an organization that I've learned a little bit about over the past few years here, but I didn't know as much as I'd like 
to know about this organization is Disability Without Poverty. So I'm really excited today for this edition of Outlook because we have a special guest from Disability Without Poverty. We're speaking today with Janet Rodriguez, Disability Advocate and the Ontario Coordinator for Disability Without Poverty. So welcome, Janet. Thank you so much for joining us today on Outlook. Well, thank you, Brian, and thank you, Carrie, for the invitation. I am thrilled to be a guest on your show and also uh, to be a guest around this specific date, December 3rd, which is um, an important uh, landmark for many of us is the 30th anniversary of this um, the, 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 this particular celebration or commemoration was, was set up. So uh, there's a lot of more work to do and uh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's uh, so great to have you on today. And like you say, it's just perfect timing of year, I think, to do it. And there's actually a specific event coming up Thursday through Disability Without Poverty that we're going to talk about as well. But I thought we'd start off kind of just to give our listeners a little bit about you, Janet. So do you want to tell our listeners where you're calling in from today? For sure. I am calling from uh, Treaty 13 territory, uh, also known as the Williams the Williams Treaty. Uh, the Mohawk War for the city is Takaronto, and many of us know it as Toronto. But this is the dish with one spoon territory. Uh, it was a covenant um, signed by the uh, Anishinaabe, uh, Haudenosaunee, and Huron-Wendat peoples back in the 1700s. And the, this treaty, the Dish with One Spoon, Wampum Belt Covenant, uh, directed all of us to take care of the land because we take all of the resources from this dish. and. We all use one spoon so we can all take our turns and equitably and equally uh, take the resources as well as take care of the land. So this is where I'm greeting you from and um, I'm happy again, happy to be here to share the work that we do at Disability Without Poverty. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've heard of you guys for a while now. There's often stories on the news these days about some of the work you're all doing and so, um, yeah, I'm glad we can talk more about it. Uh, instead of us just talking about it, it's great that we have you who, who knows a bit more about it than, than we do. So uh, that's great that you could do that. Absolutely. And I appreciate the background on, on the land where, where you're calling in from today because, again, it's another – this show we cover all – all groups of people, anyone, obviously, we're very all-inclusive. We, we want to talk about everyone out there. And Indigenous peoples are a, a very important group of people out there that we, uh, you know, even for me, I've learned more about the last few years than I, than I knew growing up. And I think we're all becoming more educated on this stuff, which is just so important. So I thought we would start then with, do you want to talk just a little bit about yourself, anything you want people to know, and then maybe a little bit about your disability and also how you got involved with Disability Without Poverty before we kind of get into the organization itself and more about what Disability Without Poverty does. Sure. Um, so I, for myself, I can tell you that I identified as a, uh, I'm a cisgender, racialized immigrant woman. I use she and her pronouns and I live with both uh, mental and physical disabilities. I, I, in my first life, 
I was a translator. I was working as a translator, language translator. So Spanish is my first language and then English and French. <clears throat> and uh, as, as my diagnosis progressed, uh, I had to stop shifting the works that I was doing. I went into taking extra courses in education. So I did a certificate on uh, adult education and staff training and also a certificate in human resources management just because I, I started to notice that between the pain and the medication for the pain, my mind wasn't as sharp as as you require to do, for example, simul simultaneous interpretation. And so I was slowly trying to shift uh, and accommodate what kind of jobs I would do, uh, what kind of roles I would take until um, my illness uh, completely took over and I had to stop working. That was about 15 years ago. So just as part of my rehabilitation, my doctor said, do not stay at home. The depression can take over. So try to connect with community. And, and that's what I did. I connected with my Latin American community. I Like you folks, I produced a, a radio. Uh, and our program was called Breaking Barriers, or in Spanish, it was called Sin Barreras. And the focus was to uh, create awareness about barriers that exist in the, in the day-to-day social that prevent people to participate in the political, uh, cultural, and social life of Canada. So that was kind of like how we presented the, the project. And then, as I said, I went back to school, off to school, went into having some surgeries and then rehabilitation for the surgery. So it's been an in and out of between taking care of my health and doing some volunteer work. I learned a lot uh, from community of uh, people from many different walks of life, people who live uh, and experience other types of disabilities. So um, slowly, you know, the community uh, started to build a little bit bigger in Toronto. Um, I was invited to be a member of the Ethno-Racialized People with Disabilities Coalition. It's a long name, so we call it ERDCO for short, E-R-D-C-O. <laughs> so at ERDCO, I've been the board secretary, and that's how I've been participating in uh, various other larger cross-disability organizations such as Disability Without Poverty. And so that's that, that's me in a, in a nutshell. So I want, if I could ask, you say you weren't born in Canada then? I was not born in Canada. I was born, educated in Peru, Peru. South America. Okay. Yes. Right. And so when sort of when did you come to Canada? I, we just like to talk to people, as we say, from different backgrounds sure. in different countries. And then when they come to Canada, as we say, this organization is a Canadian thing. Uh, but I, if you didn't, uh, did you have disabilities then when you were not living in Canada or was it more just when you were here? No, it's been more when I was here in Canada. Uh, I came to do a master's degree because I've already finished my degree as a translator. Right. <laughs> in my... In, illness was, you know, on and off, taking sometimes a little bit of a break. So I kind of 
um, was able to do my jobs, my regular life. And then the, you know, the disease took over. It was, uh, you know, impossible for me to continue to work. But yes, it's been mm -hmm. 20 plus years I've been in Canada. Yeah, it's funny. I, I just have, um, I met a new friend the last few years who's uh, from Brazil, who's was a translator. So, um, yeah, talking to people from different countries, not only about the issues with disability, but just to hear how, how things are in different places around the world. Because, you know, we Brian and I have always lived in Canada. We were born here. And uh, disability, I don't know how much you, if you go back there ever or we just like to hear about disability and how it's handled in other countries or what you think of Canada as someone who wasn't born here as far as when you started developing your disabilities and how you find disability is handled in different cultures in Canada specifically but um, maybe more broadly I don't know if you have any thoughts on that absolutely uh, so I'm going to tell you a couple of things that are specifically to my family uh, my mother uh, became blind when she was around her 50s um, so she had glaucoma she also had a, an accident that took the vision of one of her eyes and the other one she gradually lost vision uh, because we li lived in a very small town it was difficult for us to have not only the proper medical care but also any support such as the, that CNIB here, for example. There was a similar organization, there is actually, but it's in the capital city. So, you know, unless you live there, there's a lot of things that are, don't necessarily extend as a civil society, as a peer-to-peer -peer support, as we see in Canada. It's usually organizations that are run by the government very with limited resources by uh, religious organizations uh, and and then the 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 access to it is very limited as again as i said you know you have to travel to the city in order to receive that kind of training uh, i knew that there was some uh, school for the deaf and people were able to learn how to sign in sign language, I guess, in Spanish, <laughs> it's sign language. Right. I, I never, I never had the clarity of of mind to understand that there were sign language in other languages as well. Right. Uh, but for example, the the biggest, um, I would say, nationwide known um, uh, disability, outward disability, was for children who were born with uh, physical uh, impairments. And that is because there was a hospital that every year did uh, a telethon and the biggest stars and the biggest artists and sports uh, stars were showing up to say, please donate. This is the hospital. And they provided full care for for everyone and those who could pay or could afford to pay, they will make a donation, but they didn't necessarily charge. So there was a lot of children that, uh, you know, were able to benefit if they were born with cloth, club foot or, or cleft palate or any other types of, of um, rehabilitation that could be done in the hospital. And they were also sort of like a connection to larger organizations internationally if there was something more more serious that they couldn't intervene. So 
and uh, but it was mostly focused on children. Mm-hmm. I don't even they reached uh, to to young adults or anything like that. So it was that was the biggest thing that people will know about. Yeah, uh, but mean, it wasn't even disability. Yeah, and thanks for sharing some of that, and yeah, hearing about your own mother there, uh, and. Uh, not only are Brian and I blind, but we also have some other disabilities, some other chronic illnesses, uh, kidney transplants we both had, and I've had I have chronic pain, so um, I can relate in some ways with what you say about that part of it. But uh, getting our transplants as children at sick kids in Toronto, you did see a lot of children and their families coming from other countries to get certain care, but often mm-hmm. kids are given. Obviously, the first line of treatment, you know, the the mo- most help in these in these situations and telethons, as you say, and uh, mm-hmm. but uh, as we say, around sixteen percent uh, around the world of people with disabilities, and as the World Health Organization is saying now, health, you know, people with disabilities, healthcare is a human right, and um, but even in Canada, as we know, nothing is is a hundred percent perfect the way we might wish it could be. So that everybody can have the best quality of life as possible. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's always a work in progress. These things and and sometimes it goes slower than we we all would hope. And I think you talk about you know in in Peru and 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 these areas where if you're in a big city and stuff like that, maybe you get more support. But oftentimes people are in smaller towns. And and in Canada, it's it's you know it's sort of the same in some some way. Obviously, every country is is different in, in other ways. But here too, it's the same where you know being here in London or even in, in Toronto, Ontario. People have access to the CNIB maybe, and it's sort of hit and miss. And I think everyone has sort of different opinions on that, which I won't always necessarily get into in too much depth right now. But or even just hospitals for right care. hospitals for sure. Any of these things when you when you live in more of a remote area, and it's it's tricky. But Canada is so spread out, and generally, if you aren't in a big city, you might not get the, the medical care that you need as easily, or you need to you know be transferred to the bigger cities. Or and it goes the same for for training for for blindness and 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 stuff like that where a lot of people in remote areas struggle a bit more to get instruction and to get mobility training and all of these things that we we require as blind people to develop these skills so these are just ongoing things and i, I really do appreciate the background there on on your family and and where you grew up and your in your situation because it's so important on outlook to get all sorts of perspectives from all around the world and it's uh you know that's what one thing i love about countries and, and Canada is, is how multicultural we, we are and having so many different cultures here is just is fantastic. Mm. So disability without poverty. Uh, you know, mm. the, the name's pretty self-explanatory, obviously, but uh, um, we'd love to hear a bit more about that. Uh, do you have some background on, on it? Um, when it started and how it got started up and then how you kind of got connected well, and involved? Yeah. For sure. Um, <clears throat> so, because I've been uh, connected with many other disability organizations, for example, in Toronto, we have the GTA Disability Coalition. So, that involves Toronto in the larger GTA area, so Hamilton and adjacent cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, 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 we started to hear um, different things happening. For example, the ACA, the Accessible Canada Act was happening, so we participated. And then we heard about this new uh, legislation. This is back in 2020, when the federal government initiated uh, the Canada Disability Benefit. And it sounded interesting. There was a lot of buzz, a lot of conversation. People liked it, people didn't like it. People were comparing it to other um, benefits, for example, the the GIS, the 
okay, guaranteed income, um, um, GIS, guaranteed income security, I think, which is for seniors. Other people were um, comparing it to the uh, basic income, and, and that's a completely different Format. Right. They had so like they I think was, they had like policy like they had uh, pilot programs, right? For the that one that that I think yes, in Ontario did. when Ford came in kind of scrapped some of that to sort of they see about scrapped, so, all of them. Not just people with yeah, disabilities, that, but that was, yeah. Yeah, that that was a provincial initiative mm -hmm. uh, modeled back to something that had happened 30 years ago in Manitoba, which was very successful. Mm -hmm. This one also proved to be successful, but then, you know, politics, yeah. um, the politicians change and therefore the course of certain initiatives also change. Yeah. So with the, um, the at the federal level, when they intru introduced this um, Canada Disability Benefit, uh, which was uh, in second reading, uh, there was a uh, there was an election, and as you know, once there's elections, all the pieces of legislation, the bills that are being discussed, they kind of get scrapped back to zero. And in 2021, the federal government came back. This the same federal, the same political party, and they also then they tabled the same legislation. This time things were work a little bit faster. So under that, um, under those conversations is that some leaders from BC, from Ontario, from other organizations created a leadership table and they started to discuss that this legislation wouldn't really um, move as, as fast unless there's pressure from, from society. So, and this is from the first version of the legislation. So they created this uh, group. They started to invite anyone who wanted to, who felt that this is an important issue that people with disabilities should not be living in poverty. And so there was a huge acceptance. They created a campaign to send direct messages to the government, you know, how to do a petition. Mm -hmm. So that was a success things moved uh, up. So the, the group stayed even after the first iteration of the legislation was, uh, you know, eliminated. When they, the new government uh, was elected and they kind of like continued the work, but in a, in a much stronger way because you've already kind of done it. So that this way it was, uh, embraced by more organizations, other nonprofit organizations as well, that wanted to send volunteers to the meetings, uh, have more organized type of movement, connect with other provinces. Uh, and on October 18, uh, at the Parliament Hill, they passed second reading and that was unanimous. Every single, it was very emotional actually because every single MP stood up and they have to, you know, with their voice have to say yay or nay. So you could actually see each and every person standing up and saying yes mm -hmm. to the approval of this legislation, which is, uh, it's very meaningful and we're very hopeful that we could have this uh, legislation passed before the year's end uh, and to be able to get 
people's um, money in the people's pocket uh, because as we know inflation is taking over uh, regular folks who are not um, disabled and who are working are having a hard time so those of us who live with disabilities and some of us who live with a very minimum income are, are having a much harder time yeah, I mean, it's it's so important, I think, that we're talking about this stuff on Outlook today and, and every every chance we get because I don't know how many people out there still are aware of Bill C-22 and this the, the idea of the Canada Disability Benefit. But yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's this proposed federal income supplement to move people with disabilities out of poverty. And I think, like you talk about with inflation, Carrie and I here are currently on ODSP, the Ontario Disability Support Program. And these, mm-hmm. these programs don't keep up with inflation as they, as they right. should be. And it's, you know, it's different mm-hmm. in every province, obviously. I don't know a ton about how these services work in every province. But another thing I just wanted to quickly point out is early in the pandemic, how Parliament made history by putting through this procedure to enact the Canada Emergency Relief Benefit. And that's really the kind of attention that Canadians with disabilities need and we also deserve. And it, again, it really started to show there where it was $2,000 that that people were given at this point in, in the pandemic early on. And I think it was about a few months in where we got a $600 payment as, as disabled people. Like quite a, a few time, months. A one-time. A one-time payment, quite a few months in. And and once once that that uh, went through and passed with the $2,000 for people at that time, it really go to sh- went to show that here on ODSP, we're making around $1,200 a month and that nobody can really live on, on that amount sufficiently, especially in, in this day and age with inflation and all of these these things. So... It's, it's one of these things that we need to keep talking about. And you talk, you know, about the about the uh, government's involvement. And, you know, one of the one of the important things is reaching out to our MPs. And I think we often look at, at growing up in school and politics like, you know, I had some civics class in, in high school, but I just still feel like we're and it's not easy always. But to write to your MP and to discuss these things, sometimes I think we we don't always know where to start and it feels intimidating and we don't often take action to do this. So it is really important to see an organization like this banding together to do this kind of stuff because we all need to be more involved in speaking out about this stuff. Absolutely. This is this has to do, and probably is part of much larger conversation, this has to do with um, ableism. Mm-hmm. I think that lately, and as a result of the events of 20, the summer of 2020, when Mr. Floyd was killed in a, such a public way, a lot of people kind of be, became aware and realized that, oh, anti-Black racism is a thing. It actually exists. It actually kills people, right? It is a, it, it's, it, 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 it's something that people who identified as Black, it, are subjected to whether they like it or not. And the conversation started to to grow that it was not a one-on-one interaction. This is a systemic thing, not only through the system of police, but also the system of education, the system of healthcare, in our case, the system of social networks for disability. So in the same way that because people have certain identity, in this case, black, the anti-black racism uh, prevents them from participation, excludes them from uh, ex- uh, executing their rights, and in many cases, really to their detriment, whether it's health, poverty, and even their life. Same thing happened with ableism, which is a term that maybe not is not as well known 
yet, but it's a thing. It exists because, as Brian was saying at the beginning, people with disability to live fewer years. That is sometimes, you know, it is the reality, but it, how are we uh, studying that? Where is the research? When we uh, go to a place and it's inaccessible, the main reason they give us is like, oh, it's costly to implement that um, that accommodation. And the legislation says, no, unless you have undue hardship, you have to accommodate. But we kind of tend to accept that, that, oh yeah, we're disabled, we shouldn't be asking for too much. That's internalized ableism, to believe that we are not as deserving as the rats. And just as you put it so clearly, Brian, for years, people in Ontario have been living with $1,100 as an income that is, and I'm putting air quotes, enough for you, right? Because you are who you are, it will give you $1,100, now it's $1,200. But that is supposed to cover all of your needs. When in fact, when people who are non-disabled and by no fault of their own could not work, the government sprang up and in less than three weeks they said, You're, we're gonna give you $2,000, almost double that what people have been receiving for years. So we're worth $800 or $900 less compared to people who are non-disabled. They are literally putting a figure to what our quality of life uh, and expenses should be, right? And and that is uh, the very obvious way to, to speak when we talk about ableism. It's a systemic um, issue, not only a one-on-one -on -one interaction. Absolutely. And I think you, you, you sum it up very well there. And it, it really exemplified that with the pandemic starting. And of course, of course, all these issues were going on before, but the pandemic really brought them to the forefront. And, and having that example of the $2,000 is, is really there on paper to show what the government can do if they really, you know, have the, the backing and the, and the support to do it. And uh, that the, the money is out there. These, these opportunities are out there and they, we just need to be talking about it more. So I really appreciate the conversation so far here on Outlook today. We are speaking with Janet Rodriguez, a disability advocate, also an Ontario coordinator for Disability Without Poverty. You can find the organization at disabilitywithoutpoverty.ca. And we're actually going to take a break. We'll be talking when we come back about a webinar actually coming up Thursday, uh, covering a year-end review of the Canada Disability Benefit, as we've been talking about it throughout the first half of today's program. So we are going to take a quick break here now on Outlook, and we'll be right back with more of Janet Rodriguez. Outlook. On Radio Western. Welcome back on this Monday morning. Thanks for tuning in to Outlook today on Radio Western. We are speaking today with Janet Rodriguez and who's with the organization Disability Without Poverty. And you know what I realized is actually, if you take those letters, it's an acronym, DWP. It's also often they'll say PWD, people with disabilities. And it's just a uh, jumble those letters and you get, you get that same oh, thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just put that backwards and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just thought that's a little interesting tidbit I'd throw in there um, to start off our second half of the show today. Um, but uh, yes, as we said, we're following uh, December 3rd, which is the United Nations International Day for Persons with Disabilities. And 
we're talking specifically about what what's going on here in Canada and Ontario and and, and nationally here um, with um, Bill C twenty two. And mm-hmm. thanks again, Janet, for being on Outlook today. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, it, what I can say is that um, so first of all, yeah, good eye. I've uh, <laughs> I try not to speak in uh, in acronyms. Sometimes when yeah. I write, I will put TWD because it's you know it's shorter. Yeah. Her- hurts my hands less if I just put the letters and not the whole word. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I haven't noticed that. So oh, yeah, I didn't pick up on that either until Carrie just brought it up. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny so, where the brain goes. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're having on Thursday, December 8th. And uh, because our organization is, is all throughout Canada, mm-hmm. the, the time will be 12 noon at, uh, in Ontario. It's 12 noon in Ontario, but it's at nine o'clock uh, Pacific time. And you can join via uh, the internet, obviously. Uh, I appreciate if you can put the link for people to register. We're going to have American Sign Language to English translation as well as well as Long des Signes du Quebec or LSQ and French interpretation as well. The event will be closed captioned and uh, there will be simultaneous live voice interpretation, both English and French, according to the person who is speaking. So this Thursday, December 8th, uh, at 12 o'clock, you can uh, participate. You can send your questions ahead of time. If, if you um, have a question, have a, a, a need, um, you can email hello at disabilitywithoutpoverty.ca. If you're better with the phone rather than the uh, the internet, uh, we have a one eight seven seven number. So I'm going to say it slowly for to give you folks the opportunity to write it down. Great is one eight seven 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 five six six five two, and then. That person can help you uh, register as well. You can send an email. You can visit their websites. We're in all the social media um, spaces at Disability Without Poverty for Facebook, for Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Whatever is invented next, I'm sure we'll probably be there as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah, what's coming out tomorrow, right? What new platform? <laughs> Between now and the 8th. Exactly. Yeah. en français pour tout le monde. Thanks so much for, for sharing all that information. And, and like we say, we'll definitely share a link to this event coming up on Thursday on our Outlook Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western. And you can also find it on the Disability Without Poverty Facebook page. And we'll also share the link in our podcast notes when we upload the show either later on today or tomorrow morning at the latest. So people can definitely uh, check that out and hopefully show up on Thursday. And I heard too, if you can't make it, you can still sign up for the event and you'll be sent a recording after the event happens. So if, if, you, if you're working that day or whatever it may be, or you're just busy and you can't make it, definitely still sign up because it is an important event to attend. And I've already registered, both of us have here. So we're definitely gonna, gonna make it on Thursday, December the 8th as well at noon Eastern here in mm-hmm. Ontario and 9 a.m. Pacific. Yes, and of yes, course... Yes, and there's going to be an interesting... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
there's going to be an interesting conversation because it's going to be sort of like in a nutshell what has happened what what how is this uh, bill um, advancing uh, and how each of us can participate especially if we have a network if we have friends whether you're in school or maybe you volunteer in an organization the more people know about this whether they have a disability or not yeah. uh, just to support the, this legislation there's going to be a lot of work to be done if this legislation is passed that's not the last bit of it there's going to be uh, a lot of work in creating the regulations uh, we have we work from the principle of nothing about us without us so there's going to be a strong participation of people with lived experience and uh, be able to you know shape this legislation with basic things such as what uh, you were mentioning uh, to index the benefit to have a clear understanding amongst the provinces so there's no clawback of this benefit so people will actually be able to enjoy the, the the funding that they may receive and it's a similar situation what they did with the Canada pension plan of, or sorry the Canada income for seniors that they every province has their their own system but they are giving an additional income to top up uh, the seniors so they don't have to live in in poverty I'm not saying this is the panacea is not the greatest uh, solution but that's kind of like an example of how this legislation could work if if that is a pass and that's why it's so important that it's this Canada disability benefit because like you say every province has their own their own system here in Ontario it's the Ontario disability support program but we need something that is federal and Canada wide that that is is because every province is different and it's it can get difficult kind of to know, to sort all of that out so we need something that is more standard across across the country it is true yes and you say that line that is commonly heard when it comes to disability and people with disabilities uh, nothing about us without us and it's just important that we realize that these are the kind of things that maybe you're listening and you think, well, I don't have a disability. This has nothing to do with me. And, you know, I just, maybe don't people don't like to think about this, but anybody can end up disabled at any time. You loved ones mm. can end up disabled or they already are. And this affects people. And, and your organization in particular ties disability with poverty. They don't always go together, but they often do because there are so many factors in what makes something, whether it's a visible or an invisible disability. I myself have both. Uh, it, you know, it, it affects people's lives differently, but overall, as we say, with the pandemic the last few years and inflation and everything going on in the world, it's getting harder and harder to keep up. And I mean, the elephant of the in the room of all this is that a lot of people most might say, Canada can't afford to do this. We can't do this. Why should we have to do this? Why we should we support this sort of thing? Uh, it has nothing to do with us. And it, as we say, whether it's, you know, healthcare and, you know, health and well-being. Um, whatever it is, it's just that uh, these things, or or even like a roof over your head, it's a human right. Or it, you know, it's it's definitely what where we're heading, and and that's where we should be going. And there is so much ableism, including internalized ableism, uh, that even I know what what that's like. Right? You start to feel like you're you're a burden, or you know, you're taxing the system. But we all have to take mm -hmm. care of each other in society. Yeah, exactly. It's you could not have. I could not have said it better, but it is so true that 
we hear it over and over even from our premier here in Ontario, he said, oh, the best help for people with disabilities is to get a job. And I don't think that they fully understand that if people could get a job, <laughs> they would have already long time ago. People want to work because work is, you know, a way to socialize. You get friends, you get sometimes your partner, you get, I don't know, you form a sports kind of group or you, you like the, whatever, you know, it's part of life. And you also, because we live in a capitalist society, you need money for your day-to-day -day activities, even to take the bus to go somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, it's gonna cost you money. So then because we need money, then we either work, but for those of us who cannot work, then, we have a social contract. We pay taxes and the taxes are re redistributed in a way that will benefit society at large. And instead of having, for example, people with disabilities falling all over the place and getting their hips broken and end up in the hospital with pain and, and, and costing the healthcare system a lot of money, we have wheel trans, we have accessible transportation. So maybe they can support me to go from point A to point B and, and, you know, fewer broken hips in the process. So we both benefit. I benefit because I'm not going to have that broken hip, but also the government is going to save a lot of money in healthcare. So there's, it's not a free for all. It's not a free thing that they are giving us. This is part of the civil, uh, the, the social contract, contract that we have. And it's part of human rights. We, are individuals that are born with rights. So who decides that you're not gonna get housing because fill in the blank, whatever it is, you're not gonna get a job because whatever the, their justifiable reason is, when in fact we all have rights to house, shelter, education, no, and, and that is our, the basic needs. We belong to the society from the moment we're born, born in, in that space or from the time in my case when we join in uh, to, to live in a particular place. And that's how we need to look at each other from a strength-based perspective. Everyone has value, everybody has something to contribute and therefore let's enjoy our the, the different experiences. Our minds and bodies may work and function in a different way than the regular typical person over there, but we are as valuable as the next person, even if we move differently, think differently, you know, communicate yes, in different. I, I think this is all so, so many important points here and such an important conversation to have because I really do still think that attitude is out there a lot of times of, oh, you give people money, then they just, they're just going to be lazy and not want to do anything. But you know, I, I truly do believe that everyone wants something to do. Nobody wants to just sit around. Everyone wants to have, feel like they have purpose, feel like they're needed, feel like somebody wants them or depends on them or cares about them. And, and we, we all want that. But again, we have to realize that we're not all, we don't all have the same advantage. A lot of people are disadvantaged. And if you, you know, I think, I think the, um, the invisible disabilities in particular, oftentimes, are overlooked because it's it, people don't see it and they think, oh, somebody's just complaining. They just need to get out. But really, those things can be like mental health can be so debilitating to where if you don't have a, a family support or you you struggle with any resources, then how do you get out of that that spot? And 
to have enough money to be able to get through mm-hmm. the day and, and have your basic needs met, your human rights, then you'll be more in a position to be able to reach out to, to places and be able to find a job and, and, and find somewhere to fit in. And if these opportunities are out there, but to kind constantly sit there and say, Oh, people just want to sit around. It's, it's just, it's doesn't, it's not reality. And I think it's, it's, it's short term. People don't, people don't think about the long term benefits of, of what this, this would bring to society by having, you know, people are going to put the money back into society and then it's going to all stem from that. So I just, I really do appreciate uh, everything that we're, we're speaking about today. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the benefit that we're hoping uh, everyone in Canada who lives with disability will be able to, everyone um, ages 16 and, and up would be able to, <clears throat> to realize it's, it's not going to be enough money to say, oh, I'm going to go set up shop in Europe somewhere. No, it's probably for people to say, oh, you know what, I'm going to buy that extra <laughs> kind of a fruit that I need to, I'm going to buy that extra pair of shoes that I'm, I've been wanting to, or I'm going to buy my child an extra coat. You're going to invest that little extra money you're going to get right here to meet your needs. Maybe you're going to be able to afford a house that is a little bit bigger or better with less bugs, <laughs> something that is absolutely necessary for us to live with dignity. Um, I know that this is a much bigger conversation and I would love to to maybe be invited back to, to have that larger conversation. But if we talked about uh, how a society is measured by how they treat their, their most vulnerable, it has been sh- a shock the disability community to see how fast legislation to die, to have assistance in dying was passed so swiftly uh and and they there are some individuals with disabilities who have chosen to die because living was so undignified and they found no response no support it was the easiest way out was okay here you go you have this system a whole system that can support you to die with dignity where are the supports to live with dignity Exactly. And, you know, it's in the news more recently about veterans and a few cases that are you hear more and more people are speaking up that this has happened to them, that somebody in the government suggesting that, you know, maybe your your life is too difficult. Maybe this is the it's called made, you know, medical assistance and dying and people with disabilities, including veterans who have been disabled in combat uh, overseas, wherever it might be, you know, we're starting to feel like that's where the government would rather see it go because it's going to be less taxing on the system and less less trouble. And that's not where we want to go with it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I have a bit, you know, I see both sides of that in a way. I've, I've seen what like it's like to live with chronic pain or, or chronic depression. These things aren't, 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 aren't simple, but that's not a solution to, to deal with how we, how we're living in society. That's not the direction we want to go overall, but, um, I'm glad you brought that up because while we're in coming to the end of the show here, the last 10 minutes or so, as you say, these are bigger conversations to have and you could have whole episodes on just these certain topics. But it's important that we at least address them because it's all tied together and poverty, disability, all these things in the the world we're all living in now is just the reality and we need to talk about it, not have it in the shadows and all this silence because we're afraid to talk about these hard things. Mm -hmm. And I I also type... Sorry, go on. Especially in a country that is 
we we know that many many times the excuse was oh we don't have money oh the deficit oh the mm -hmm. deficit when by no fault of anybody's in the world we had the pandemic and immediately money came up right and and no questions asked right so when you are in ODSP in Ontario and you have a partner that is making minimum wage and they work your $1200 are reduced because the other person is making money. But when you were receiving CERB, the Canada Emergency um, Supports, if you couldn't work, you received $2,000. Your partner couldn't work, they received $2,000. Your child in an eight working age couldn't work, they received $2,000. So there was no questions asked, nobody clawed back. The treatment of a person with a disability and a person without a disability is completely discriminatory and it's out in the open and we need to talk about it. So we're, we're, we're seeing that people with disability who live in poverty, they sometimes, their health gets worse, their disability, their impairments gets worse. And of course, they're going to feel overwhelmed in this, this distress and they need a way out. But that should not be as easy to say here, there's made, there's, uh, we will support you to get out of this world. When in fact, we know that there are resources for better housing, accessible, affordable, deeply affordable housing, proper transportation, not only for those of us who live in the city, but also people in the more remote areas, right? So, so the resources are there, we know this, so they need to be moved around. And sometimes we need legislation for that to happen. That's why we're advocating strongly for the Canada Disability Benefit, because as imperfect as it may be, and, and we've heard a lot of uh, commentaries from many different areas, as imperfect as it can be, we need this to happen and we need to happen now because now people are having fresh in their minds how people with disability have been overtly uh, mistreated and excluded compared to people who don't have disabilities only uh, as an example of how the disparity goes around. Yeah, and I don't know how much how much you deal with with sort of feedback or emails or any of this kind of commentary from from the public regarding all of this stuff, but I was just kind of curious if you how you deal with you know I've just sort of read some comments and some some opinions on this stuff, and a lot of people and I, I can get it in a way too, but there's a lot of sort of pessimism out there, and a lot of people with disabilities you know often will say like oh this isn't ever going to happen, what's the point, why even try, and it's hard to keep going, but. I just didn't know if you had any kind of thoughts on that or if, if, if anyone specifically has come to you with that kind of a response and how you try to, because it is tricky. Everyone's situation is so different. And, and I, I just, I think it's like anything in life. It's so hard sometimes to stay optimistic about, about this stuff. It is difficult, but I can, I, usually the way, the outlook that I have on the activism that I do is that uh, accessibility is not a done deal. It doesn't end somewhere. Accessibility is a continuum. So today we may think, oh, I need a walker to walk and maybe tomorrow I need a wheelchair and so on and so forth. My accommodations change according to how I experience my impairments with society. Uh, if I'm a student, my accommodations may be different from somebody who's already retiring. So there's all these different aspects that are that come only from lived experience. So is this a, a piece of legislation that will fit everyone the same, maybe not. It's the same with 
child benefits. I don't have children, but I'm happy that people who, who have children actually have a benefit. So yes, there's always going to be naysayers. People will, that, that's sort of like in the, the extremes. You always have the, the little pocket of yes at whatever cost, and they have the little pocket of no at whatever cost. But we're working towards the middle ground where most people with disabilities will understand this is something that is necessary. It can continuously be improved like many other legislations that gets revised once in a while, every three years or whatever. There's processes to have this improved and enlarged or be deepened, made bigger, better, brighter. Even in Ontario, we know that with the AODA, we've uh, been having the reviews every three, four years. And at every stage, there's more things that we said, oh, this is missing, there's a gap, this is not the right thing. So everything can be improved. But if we have nothing, then what can we improve? If we have something, and hopefully we'll have it as soon as possible, uh, then we can say, you know what, how can we make this better? And that will happen only when people people power are behind this initiative. And that's why we need the support from everybody, uh, individual, organization. As I said, if you're a parent and your child is going to a school, you know, talk to the other parents. Uh, you're, you're, if you're working, talk to your class, your, your coworkers, etc. Because everyone needs to uh, be in support and understand that this is something that may benefit them. If you live long enough, you may acquire a disability, so it's it's for all of us. Exactly. And uh, so we've been talking today about this webinar coming up on Thursday. And the good thing with the pandemic was we did for a long time realize that we all had to keep distance from each other. And so things like Zoom popped up and I was able to go to a lot of events that physically my body couldn't handle. It was too taxing for me to actually get somewhere, let alone be in a good shape once I got there to and to enjoy an event or take in the message at, at some sort of event. And so these things are now available that I can just log on and from anywhere. It's so great. Um, we, we hope there's not too much backsliding now that things are kind of returning to the way they were. Because when you make these big changes and big, you know, times of big, great change and social, social ch- shifting with like a pandemic, things happen and you hope that we don't go back. Everybody, I want to go back the way it was. Well, I don't want to go back to the way it was exactly. And so this is the kind of thing that will be talked about this Thursday at this event. Um, if you want to hear where we are, because on this episode today, we were only able to sort of just, just you know, scratch the surface of this bill C-22 um, and uh, the work that you with do with Disability Without Poverty. Um, so I, I don't know what you're looking forward to on Thursday. If you... Um, um, have any thoughts sort of as we round out the show today in the last five minutes here or so uh, about where you see things going and of course we'd love to have you back as things continue to move forward yeah well i love how carrie also brings up there about the 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 differences that happened with the pandemic and the fact that now with zoom and stuff and i'm sure janet uh rodriguez our guest who we've been speaking with today can relate you mentioned 
early on the show today that you you do deal with with chronic pain and, and mental health and and mental health too. The, both of these things can cause someone to it's stressful to get out sometimes and to once you get to an event you're already tired and you can't maybe focus on what they're talking about. So to have both options and it's all about having multiple ways for people to access information and to have both options where somebody can go in sometimes or they can be comfortable in their own home and still learn and get this information. I think I think is so important. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that if, I hope that the trend continues. Um, the truth is that with a Zoom or with alternatives to, to meeting in person, there's a lot of us who have realized accommodations that, you know, I, I don't have to travel two hours to go see my doctor. I can, you know, set up a Zoom or or a phone call. And at the same time, if the proper accommodations are not provided, some people may be left aside. If you don't have access to the internet or access to a computer, et cetera, that may also be, again, course, poverty yeah. may be a barrier. For sure. Right? So all of these things that, that can happen. But yes, absolutely. I think that I would be uh, honored uh, to, to be back uh, to the show and, and discuss more. But yes, I absolutely agree with you, Carrie, that... Um, you know, the, those of us who live with, with chronic pain, sometimes just to get ready, to shower, to get clothing, I'm already tired. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even taken the transportation. So if something can be uh, done without necessarily, if it is not a, a requirement to be in person, this has been a great opportunity for many of us to participate, to learn, to for education and even work. You know, it's it's been uh, fantastic for many many uh, people. Absolutely. It's like everything where one size never fits all. And of course, we all do want to get out as well when we can, but it's great to have both options. And like you say too, not the internet isn't always accessible for everyone either. So it's always important to constantly be revamping and, and, and following changes and, and trying to make things as inclusive as possible. So thanks again, Janet Rodriguez, for joining us today, Disability Advocate, Ontario Coordinator for Disability Without Poverty. You can go to disabilitywithoutpoverty.ca also just want to remind people about the webinar on Thursday, December the 8th, coming up this week, the year-end review of the Canada Disability Benefit. We will share the link on our Outlook Facebook page, and uh, people should definitely attend this, this event. So thanks again, Janet, for joining us today on Outlook. My pleasure. Thank you so much, and I wish you uh, to have a wonderful start of the winter. In my language, we say Feliz Navidad, but happy holidays to everyone. The same to you. And we will talk again soon and uh, we'll be there on Thursday. So thanks again, Janet. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.